today. I do want to take an opportunity before I get into my message, and I'm going to have Jonathan come up here just for a moment. I didn't tell him I was going to have him come up here, uh, but I'm going to have Jonathan come up here on the platform. Obviously, I've had Jonathan up for the past several weeks. Uh, it's not that I'm trying to make a point with Jonathan, but today I do want to introduce him in a different way. Uh, first of all, uh, Jonathan is a college graduate as of yesterday. Uh, So we do celebrate that, and he does have some family that has come down uh, from Delaware to be here with them this weekend, so we're very grateful, and it's good to have Sylvia back as well. Uh, but I wanted to take a moment and introduce Jonathan. He is going to be on our staff technically starting December 1st, and he is going to be doing outreach and addiction recovery ministry. So that fits very well with who he is, and we are really excited about having him on staff with us. I'll give you about 30 seconds. Do you want to say yes, anything? I just want to thank the church. I thank you guys so much. Ah, where to start? But I have 30 seconds, so I just thank you for your love and your encouragement and walking side by side with me and ups and downs and loving on my mom and when she came here and just the love. I always want to say, you know, you don't understand the love of God until you experience through God's people. And when I came here, that's what I experienced, and now it's time to just go share it with the world. So I thank you guys. It is a blessing to see the journey that Jonathan's been on. It's great to be able to see God continue to work in and through him. So before I do anything else, uh, let me take a moment and... Uh, Wish everybody here a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this Thursday, families around most of the country will gather together to protest the senseless killing of thousands of turkeys and then to celebrate the many blessings that they have experienced over the past year. I know that there are rules that are in place in some places around the country uh, that you're not allowed to have more than 10 people together for Thanksgiving meal, but you can protest. So I encourage every one of you to protest the killing of that turkey. It would seem that every time we have turned around in 2020, we have had a new struggle to endure, but I want to encourage you today to know that there is also much for us to be thankful for. The fact is, God has done much for us. We have much to thank him for. In fact, I want to take a moment, and I want us to just kind of focus on some of the positive things that have come from 2020. I'm actually going to start with giving you a brief opportunity. You know, I gave Jonathan 30 seconds. I'm going to give you actually a little bit less than that, each one of you. I'm going to give about two minutes. Does anyone want to thank God for what he has done for you over the past year? Amen. Thank you, Sherry. Good, Jimmy.
Amen. Anyone? Anyone else? It's good. Wonderful. Thank you, Miss Sylvia. We are continuing to pray for you as well. Wonderful. Anyone else? Real quick. Amen. Thank you, Cora. Jack. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. It is funny how many people from Delaware end up here in South Carolina. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, it is a blessing to be able to share about the things that God has done. In fact, I want us to uh, take just a few moments to hear somebody else's uh, perspective on God's blessing and how he has provided. And I'm going to ask Amy Millspaw if she'd come up and I'm going to have her share from the pulpit. I did not put her on the 30-second limit there. That's right. Well, good morning. Um, I have a, a story of faithfulness. Um, between my 8th grade and ninth grade year, um, it was a hot summer. And I'm from Iowa, so um, I came a long way to be here too. But thankfully, the Lord drew me here. And... Um, I was swimming in the swimming pool, and out in Iowa, we have public pools, um, and so I was. it was very crowded that day, very hot, and I went underwater, and this kid jumped in, and his tailbone hit my cheekbone right here, and I don't remember a whole lot more uh, than that. I was being pulled out of the water, um, and I had a, just a little um, puncture wound right here, but what I didn't know was after x-rays showed that the entire orbit of my eye had been blown out completely. And I couldn't see anything clearly. Um, I, I could only see double. And what had happened was all the fragments of bone that had been completely blown out 
um, were floating around and they had trapped my optic nerve. They had pinched it and um, they were floating all over in there. So I couldn't see anything. I couldn't stand up straight. I was getting nauseous just even opening my eyes. And so I went in for surgery. And um, so the doctor who did my surgery um, did not realize how, how big of a span that was. And so when he put, um, he sutured a plate on there, it was too small. And um, he didn't have time to wait for a new plate because he was leaving for vacation on a plane an hour after my surgery. Um, and my surgery went long, so um, he was pushing it. So he did not wait for a new plate. He just mega sutured the other one to try to make it stay. Well, within a day or two, it had slipped and it had moved and more fragments of my bone um, were floating around and retrapped my optic nerve. And we knew something was wrong in a, in a, uh, when, the, when the doctor took my stitches out, um, he said, um, it'll be fine, it'll correct itself. Um, and well, which was absolutely not the truth. So we went to Iowa City. I lived in Waterloo, an hour and a half away. We went to the um, teaching hospital there and um, major center and we saw a doctor there. Well, by that time, it had been two weeks later and a lot of scar tissue had formed and my optic nerve was trapped again, lots of swelling, a lot of pain. Um, <laughs> um, but what happened was the doctor said, okay, so we're gonna do surgery the very next morning. Um, we're gonna go in and we're gonna clean all that out and try to free your optic nerve so that you can have single vision. And, um, and so, of course, I was scared because I didn't think I was going to have surgery um, But again. But I had surgery again the very next morning. And he said, he said, I just want to be very honest with you. And my mom and I were sitting in the doctor's office, and he said, um, here's your options. He said, this is the three possible outcomes that could happen. One, um, you could be blind in both eyes after the surgery. And he said... Two, you could be blind in that eye, the injured eye, but have sight in your other eye. And he said, best, absolute best case scenario is you could have about 70% sight in that eye and the other eye would be fine. And so I was 14 and scared. And so my mom got on the church prayer chain and said, everybody pray. And, um, and so everybody prayed. Everybody was praying hard. The surgery happened. The recovery happened. And he took off, the doctor took off the bandages to see the outcome. And he said, I just can't explain it. I do not understand. And I got this big old grin on my face because I could see him with both eyes and when he checked my eyes I could see better out of that injured eye than I could out of my regular eye <laughs> so the Lord healed me and he chose to do better than the doctors could do and he is so faithful 
And the doctor said that there was a bone fragment that had gone back behind my optic nerve that was so close to my brain that it was a fraction of a hair close to my brain. And if it would have gone that much further, it would have instantly killed me. He said, you are a miracle. And and I claim that miracle as Jesus, only Jesus. He is faithful, and he healed me, and I could have never seen 2020. I don't see 2020 now, but the year 2020. <laughs> so I am grateful, so incredibly grateful for the chance to be able to see 2020. So in Amy's situation, there was something difficult that happened that became an opportunity for the Lord to be praised, uh, became an opportunity for us to celebrate God's faithfulness and his grace to us. Today, we are supposed to do a baby dedication in this service. Uh, the family is dealing with illness today, and therefore, they're not able to be here. It's the Schmutz family. Some of you guys will be familiar with them. Uh, Christian is about 7 foot 12, 13, something like that. Uh, he's actually 6, 10, or 11. He's really tall, and they've got a bunch of kids. Well, it was one year ago today that their baby almost died. Uh, actually, the baby became ill. Uh, obviously, they were not expecting anything. The eyes rolled back in his head. He basically passed out, and they thought that they were losing their child. Uh, the reason we wanted to dedicate the child today was because God is faithful. Even though things weren't going the way they wanted, God was still faithful in the midst of it. You know, 2020 has been one of those crazy years where it seems like every time we turn around, there is something else that has happened. Some would say that we are forced to shut down our economy, but maybe it was during that time that God gave us more time to spend with our family, and maybe we should give thanks for that instead. Some would say that we missed out on all kinds of sports and entertainment, Yet I would suggest that maybe we were reminded of how little we needed some of those things because God had already given us enough. Some would say that we've been forced to wear these masks all the time. And for me, I look at it and say, I haven't had to shave in weeks. It's been wonderful. Obviously, I'm not so naive as to say that there are no negative consequences that come from the difficulties that we have faced, but I want you to know today that God has been faithful even as we have walked through some very difficult days in our nation and as we continue in that journey. I do want to take a moment and just say that Amy's story is a reason for us to celebrate because God chose to work and perform a miracle. But that being said, not all stories end the same way that hers does. Amy's testimony declares God's faithfulness and his goodness, but the truth is God is faithful and he is good even if he chooses not to work in the way that we ask him to. And today we rejoice over the fact that she is able to see what she's able to see, to do what she's able to do. We believe that it is only because of God, but his goodness was not determined because of what she can do today. His goodness has already been determined. I wonder what each of us have to be thankful for today. I don't want you to share anymore. I already gave you that opportunity. If you didn't take it, it's on you. But I wonder today if maybe there are some things that we ought to be thankful for. 
Maybe we need to share about it this afternoon with family or maybe even later this week. I know that many are having to change their holiday plans, but maybe we need to find a way to communicate the things that we are thankful for this week to the people around us. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit odd today. For years, I've told people that you don't start celebrating Christmas until December 1st, or at least you have to wait until after Thanksgiving. And I know that some of y'all have been listening to Christmas music for over a month already. You've got your house already decorated. Some of you already have all your Christmas shopping done. Well, congratulations. You have successfully pressured me into starting my Christmas Advent series before Thanksgiving. Thank you very much for that. Now, I actually believe that Thanksgiving and Christmas are far too closely related to each other to ignore the two of them at once, at least in principle. We've been talking about what we're thankful for today, and I can't help but be thankful for the work that Christ did to redeem humanity. The fact that he would choose to humble himself by becoming a fragile, fully dependent on his mother infant, that he would make his dwelling among men only to become our sacrifice for our sins. It causes me to be very thankful today. I can't help but think of all the people who were privileged to have lived during such amazing events, yet they were completely oblivious to what was going on. They were self-absorbed. They were concerned with governmental affairs. They were caught up in the busyness of life, yet sitting right in front of them was the greatest move of God that humanity had ever experienced. I do wonder if perhaps the same thing might be happening today, not necessarily the birth of a Savior, but I wonder if God isn't about to do something so spectacular in our midst, yet we are so focused on the suffering and the difficulty that we aren't even aware that God might be doing something for us today. Well, God made a way for the people to become prepared as Jesus' birth was about to take place. Listen to what he did. Our scripture today will be found in Luke chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, typically the Christmas story is read from Luke chapter 2, but there's some work that had to be done leading up to the Christmas story. John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus, and John the Baptist was created for one specific purpose. God had a plan for his life in Luke chapter 3, we reading through verses 4 through 6. Look at it with me. This is what it says. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. By the way, this is a direct reference to what we find in the prophet Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, which will be our Advent reading in a couple weeks. As Isaiah wrote this, he was prophesying not about the coming of Christ. Christ would come, but there would be one who would come before him. It is the coming of John the Baptist that is being referred to here. 
the world would be in such a hustle and bustle with all sorts of craziness going on around them. There would be those in turmoil. There would be those in the midst of blessing. There would be those living under fear and oppression while others would be filled with great anticipation about life in general. In the midst of all of it, there would be very few who were actually looking for the saving work of Christ to take place. So God would send a messenger to the world. His name is John the Baptist. And his singular purpose in life would be to prepare the way for the Lord. He was pointing people to Jesus. And actually, our primary purpose in life ought to be something quite similar to that of John the Baptist. In fact, consider the roles that he would play as I also call you to do the same. The first thing that we see is, says that every valley will be filled in. In one way, this is very much about his tenacity. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of valleys, it is often easy to become discouraged or maybe even to give less effort, which is a bit ironic because if you give less effort, often you see less fruit. Life gets hard and we wonder if it's even worth it. We know that the grass is always greener on the other side, but getting to the other side may require that we walk through deep valleys. Maybe we could just hang out over here instead. I'm reminded of a video game that I used to play when I was a kid. It was called Frogger. Some of you probably at least are familiar with that game. The goal was to get the frog from one side to the other. But there were always these hazards that were along the way. I could stay where I was, and I never had to worry about losing. My, my frog would never die. But if I did that, I also never had to worry about winning because I could never get to the other side where I needed to be. Perhaps one of the goals of John the Baptist was to encourage people as they walked through these deep valleys. Perhaps his purpose was to keep them from getting bogged down in the valley, to encourage them to press on even when difficult times came their way, knowing that there was a victory that was on its way. Another possibility, and one that fits very well with what we read in this passage is that John's purpose was not merely to encourage the people in the valley, but rather to make crossing the valley as easy as possible. This is what I mean by that. Uh, many years ago, while living in Colorado, I had the privilege of crossing the Colorado River at a site called the Royal Gorge. People have been crossing the gorge at this particular location for centuries, but it used to take a lot longer to cross. You had to climb down one side of the mountain, find a spot where the water was relatively low so you could go across the river, and then you would have to climb back up the other side of the mountain, and it might take you at least a day or two, sometimes maybe even a week to complete that little section of the journey. However, there is now a bridge which spans the gorge, and crossing that gorge, you can do so on foot and be done in just a matter of minutes. It might be 30 minutes, and you don't want to look down when you're doing it because it's about 3,000 feet to the bottom of the gorge. But you can cross that river now, and it'll take you just a few minutes 
In many ways, the role of John the Baptist was not to help people through the valley, but rather to flatten out the valley so that people could get across from one side to the other without having to deal with some of the junk that you would have to deal with. It would seem that John the Baptist wanted to help people across the valley, filling in the valley so that the journey could be easier for others. In a manner, we are to do what John the Baptist did as well. First, we are to help those who are in the valley so that they may continue to press on. Look at your brothers and sisters, those around you who right now are struggling, those who are in the midst of all of the ugliness of 2020, and there is plenty of ugliness. In the midst of everything else that has gone on, you have the opportunity to be a light to people who desperately need it. How many people feel overwhelmed right now? Worried about what's going to happen next? Are we going to shut down again? Do we all have to wear masks? Can we even come together as a family and as a church? So much fear, so much question about what's next. You have the opportunity to help people who are bogged down in the valley. To let them know that there is something that is worth pressing on for. It is possible for us to make it out, but we can't do it if we give up. Or maybe your goal is not so much to help them get out of the valley, but to keep them from the valley. Maybe you need to do whatever it takes to make the gospel message easier for people to understand. Maybe that happens by the way you live your life. Maybe that happens through the attitude that you display when you experience difficulty. But what happens is you become the one that helps people to see that you don't have to stay over here, but rather you can cross over that valley. And you can walk in victory and you can win. We need to be the ones to bring people hope much as John the Baptist did. The second thing that we see from John the Baptist is that his role is to make every mountain low. Within this, we see a call to humility. You know, it's so easy for us to become full of ourselves. I know some of you are thinking, I know people like that. It's never me, but it's other people, right? We believe that we are better than we really are. I was reading this week about King David. He is defined as a man after God's own heart. Yet he also struggled very much with the sin of pride. In fact, you could easily say that every sin David ever committed was connected to his pride. For example, when he committed his sin with Bathsheba, he knew that she was a married woman. Yet apparently that wasn't a problem. It was as if David felt like, I'm the king and I can do whatever I want. I know it'd be wrong for other people, but... This is okay for me. Rooted in his sin of sexual immorality was actually a sin of pride. Later in his reign, he would order a census to be taken to verify how great his nation was and even to verify how great he was. Maybe it was for his own ego or maybe it was just to let others know how great his kingdom had become. The point is that he saw himself as being on a huge mountain, but he really wasn't. All right, so I want to give you one more uh, reference to Colorado here again. I remember as a teenager, 
going skiing on multiple occasions. Actually, even as a youth pastor, when I was in North Carolina, uh, we would take our kids skiing to Asheville. When I was a kid, I remember us going to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we would go skiing, and it was a, a good thing. I, I always felt like I was pretty good at skiing, and I, I was kind of proud of it because I thought, you know what? I haven't done it much. If I did this all the time, I could be really, really good. And then I moved to Colorado. Suddenly, I realized that those mountains that I had been skiing on, they were just little hills. I remember the first time we went skiing when we were in Colorado, and I got on the lift, and I didn't even think about where I was going. I'm just going up the lift. And the next thing you know, this lift is still going up, and I'm looking and realizing the tree line is down there. And here we are. We're still going up. It's too cold for the trees to exist up there. And not all of the slopes are quite as smooth and nice as they were at Hershey, Pennsylvania. Some of them were much, much larger, much more difficult. As you're riding up, you see occasionally you'll see someone else riding down on the lift. We call that the ride of shame because you're embarrassed. You've got to pass all these other people. You got up to the top and you realize, oh, I can't do this, so I'm not getting off. So you stay on the lift and you have to ride it all the way back down, passing every other rider as they go up. And of course, everyone's kind of laughing just a little bit. The last thing I wanted to do was to be that guy. But as it came time to get off of that lift, I'm looking and I'm realizing this is not going to be a lot of fun. And I'm going to tell you, I must have been the slowest guy going down the slopes that first day. And that's because the whole time I was afraid that if I got up my speed, I was going to kill myself. You see, here's the thing. I felt really good about it as long as I was on that little mountain that I thought was huge. But the very moment I began to realize how small my mountain really was, I began to realize I wasn't really that good of a skier in the first place. One of the keys to getting to Christ is realizing that we are not as great as we have often thought ourselves to be. And while our goal is not to be the one to humble others, our goal should be to be there to help people when they are humbled, to realize that there is one who is greater than all of these things, and that one is Jesus Christ. Every one of us, I believe that God has created each of us with a specific purpose, and because of that, every one of us ought to feel great about who you are because you are made in the image of God. You are his blessing. You are his chosen people. He sent his own son to die so that he could spend eternity with you. That gives you incredible value. But know that outside of Christ, our value is very, very limited. Christ has given us value. So celebrate that. The third thing that we see John the Baptist do says that he made crooked, crooked paths made straight. This is primarily about purity. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Our world teaches us that certain things are right, but that is not always correct. Consider the things that have changed in our culture just over the past 20 or so years. The things that we once considered to be wrong have become right. It has even happened inside the church. And although the world says something is right, it can still be very wrong. I look at where we are as a nation at a church, and I fear that this verse 
Proverbs 14, 12 is being played out right before our very eyes. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I believe that if our nation does not turn and seek the Lord, death is what awaits our nation. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ Regardless of the denomination that you're talking about, I'm talking about the church as a whole, but yes, I'll even add the local church as well. If we do not turn and seek Christ above everything else, in the end, it will lead to death. We think we are doing so well. We're becoming more open, more tolerant to everyone and everything Yet in the end, it leads to death. Let it not be so. May we be a church that calls people off the crooked path and onto the straight path. May we be a church that calls people to purity, not continuing in sin, but being transformed into the likeness of a holy God. That was the role of John the Baptist. That ought to be our role today. I was in preparation for this. Oh, I don't have time, sorry. Go back and read the letters to the church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Uh, the church thought they were okay. They thought everything was good, but it wasn't true. said, I'm rich. I need nothing. But yes, they did. They were wretched. They were poor. They were pitiful. They were blind. They were naked. God counseling to buy from him gold refined in the fire, a white robe to, put, to wear, salve to put on their eyes. The thing was, they weren't good enough, even though they thought they were. Man, that may be the church today. The last thing that we see here is that John the Baptist was tasked with making rough ways smooth. This is all about maturity. I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Are there difficulties in your life today? Are there things that you wish were not taking place? Do you look at 2020 and think, man, please, 2021, come quickly. Or Lord, come quickly. Get me out of here. This is a horrible place, a horrible time. Maybe you've had very difficult times. Maybe there have been some things that have happened that you never would have wanted to see happen. But maybe going through some of these difficult times... Maybe it will result in perseverance. And perseverance, when its work is finished, will lead to maturity and wholeness. Are there difficulties in your life today that maybe you wish weren't here? Take a moment today and give thanks for those difficulties because it may be that God is using them to take you to a place where you need to be. Perhaps God is going to use these difficulties to develop maturity in you. This week, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, maybe you have some things to give thanks for. My guess is every one of us does. Be thankful most of all for the salvation that has come through Jesus Christ. Be thankful for his faithfulness as you have walked 
through the difficult valleys. And be thankful for the fact that there is coming a day when those valleys will no longer be a part of our lives. He has promised us eternal life, and we will be beneficiaries of that great promise. I had someone ask, well, how do you know that the Lord will keep his promise, that he will come back and he will take us? The only thing I can tell you is that he has kept every other promise that he's ever made. Every other promise, things that seem completely illogical, they happened. When Isaiah prophesied about a virgin being with child, which obviously we're going to look at over this next series, when Isaiah prophesied about a virgin being with child, others heard that and thought, well, it must be figurative. It can't be real. There's no way that that could actually be true. Yet it is true. A virgin would be with child, and that child would be the Messiah. And he would come and dwell among men, and then he would allow his own life to be taken so that our sins could be forgiven. If God would keep a promise like that, don't you think it'd be easy for him to keep a promise where he said, I'm coming back for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you so that you also may be where I am. That's the promise he's given. That's something for us to be thankful for today. Maybe today you need to simply take a few moments and think about what it is you're thankful for. It's time for us to give thanks to the Lord. If you would bow your heads. Father, I pray today that you would help us to appreciate all that you have done. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the victories that we've talked about, that we've celebrated about this morning. Thank you for the way that you have worked to provide for us over and over and over again. Thank you for the many times that you've shown up and almost surprised us with your presence. Thank you for the times of difficulty. It seems as though the times we give most thanks are the times where we've walked through difficult days, where we've been in the valley and you helped us out of the valley, where you strengthened us, where you brought healing. And Lord, while we don't want those difficult times, we so want your presence. So Father, if that means that we need to be thrown into a fiery furnace, if that means we need to walk through dark valleys, if that means we need to suffer, Father, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to reveal yourself to us. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that each of us today has an incredible hope that is found in you. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that is granted to us. I pray that every day we would live as those who really do have that peace. Father, thank you that we know that there is something far greater that awaits us. Walk with us until that day comes. Give us the strength to stand. Give us the strength to continue to press on. And I pray that when that day comes, we will be able to do nothing but give thanks for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you go into this week, I apologize, I went over a few minutes late. So as you go into this week of Thanksgiving, take the opportunity to truly give thanks. You know, actually, the Apostle Paul said, in view of God's mercies, we ought to offer our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. Take a minute and consider his mercies. What has he done for you? Give thanks. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.